Christmas from tomorrow. It's Christmas. Okay, so, okay, okay, so have you gone early? Have you gone early with the Christmas lights? We have gone early with the Christmas lights. Uh, we like a little, um, a little sparkle, little, uh, little LED motion <laughs> in in the Paul household. We do like Christmas. If my husband had it his way, he would have a Christmas tree in every single room. Uh, <laughs> so we've got a real tree in our conservatory and a fake tree in our lounge. But one year there was about four trees, I think, that were up because because <laughs> he just Love loves it. Christmas. Love it. Well, we've got a small tree currently, a small fake tree in the living room, which is going to be replaced by a a real tree, I think. Ooh. And then the small fake tree will go in the girls' room. I just love the smell of the pine. It just gorgeous. Yeah, smell. that's exactly it. Yeah. That's, that's why I think I yeah. get one. Gets rid of our horrible cat smell that we have. <laughs> really old cats, really stinky. And then <laughs> get a tree in there. It'll do the job. Right. So I would like to say to start with top of this episode, I got a pretty amazing gift this week, which was from Sarah and her husband Chris, which was a late little moving in present. And I was, I got to be honest, I was gobsmacked. It was a video projector. So basically this weekend, my living room turned into a cinema and I've never been so excited in a long, long time at the prospect now of watching films. On They're good, projector. aren't they? That's yeah. amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, I, and um, sound's not bad if you've got a decent set of speakers. Sound is good. That's right. I was I was thinking, what am I going to do for sound? And then I realised I had this pretty good Bluetooth speaker that I'm just not really using at the moment. So that that was fantastic. So we watched the new Secret Garden film. As, as our oh, right. I want to watch movie. that. Yeah. yeah. We didn't watch all of it in quite a time, but that was the first film we watched. And then I ended up watching uh, some of The Mandalorian with my son, which is cool. So I cannot wait now for whatever films we've got coming up next to watch them in their full mini cinematic glory. For Christmas. Exactly. Christmas. Like Frozen. Frozen in yeah. on, across the whole screen. Maybe. I love Frozen. Maybe. I think Frozen is... We watch Frozen 2 because it's on Disney+. Plus. I think you can get it on Sky as well and other channels at the moment. Yeah, we watched that and my boys, they were engrossed in it. They loved it the second time round. We saw it at the big screen at the cinema last year. Probably the last film, actually, I probably saw at the cinema... <laughs> Uh, which is bonkers. And then October Sky with Jake Gyllenhaal, which is a really good film. And then um, watch Zero Dark Thirty, which nice. is now on my list because it's a, such a good film. Really yeah. good film. I always get that film mixed up with the Hurt Locker. Is it the same director? Same director, Catherine Bigelow. That's right. That's why I think I get them mixed up. I know they're not, obviously. Mm. They're quite different. And she does, no. we, as we said before, she does all these really gritty films, doesn't she? Yeah. Because she did Point Break. That's right. I think it was her. And surprisingly, she, she does all these quite gritty films that you would kind of think it would be a male director doing it. But actually, in Zero Dark Thirty, there's a very strong female character in it. So, yeah, really good. Played by Jessica. Good chest day. It is. That's the the, the film about um, Osama bin Laden, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, I mean, well, I remember watching it. It was absolutely captivating. Absolutely mm. captivating. She's quite young in this one, actually. So, yeah, she looked sort of early 20s. She's great. She's like, mm. she. I think she's like my new favourite actress, mm. Jessica Chastain. Mm. Like, we've seen her in a few things now, and I think she's just, yeah. yeah I think she's, she's, she's a little bit like Julia Roberts, a slightly younger version of Julia Roberts, I think. I think she can play any roles that Julia's played. No, well, Julia, on first name terms with her. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to have to crack this open. I'm sorry, it is our podcast. There we go. I feel very empty-handed now. 
But there you go. I did have the champagne, I think, flowing only a, a week or two ago. Right, so this yeah. week we had an animation, which is Nightmare Before Christmas, and we also had comedy, Gross Point Blank. Are you not going to tell us what you've been up to the last couple of weeks? Uh, what do you mean? In terms of well, what? Well, you've been doing exciting stuff behind oh, the scenes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if it's that exciting. I was working. It is. I was doing a live broadcast for Channel 4, which was... There you uh, go good fun yeah it's been ages i used to do live gallery producing for channel five back in the day when they were doing live sport and then i veered off from doing live broadcasting into kind of more pre-produced edit producing type stuff so it's been years since i've been in a kind of a live broadcast environment and i forgot what a buzz it was i mean it was only an internal thing for channel four so it was no like great shakes but it was uh it was still pretty cool i tell you what i learned a lot about set design for the the first time I was involved in working with set designers, working with set design renderers, and then all of the things you have to bear in mind once a set goes in and you realize the floor is going to get dirty every time someone steps mm-hmm. on it. Once you realize what shows up on camera, what doesn't, it was it was a bit of an education, actually. But yeah, it's enjoyable. That's mm. a bit like similar to when I do events. So doing the back walls of exhibition designs and things like that. So I can imagine it's pretty similar. It was. In actual fact, it was a hybrid event. Mm. It wasn't full on TV set and it also wasn't the other way. It wasn't like full on corporate on stage event feel they wanted something in the middle so yeah yeah that was an interesting exercise so what we got this week so we have a comedy gross point blank and we have animation nightmare before christmas i keep wanting to say nightmare on elm street i'm so so sorry it just slips off the tongue more easily nightmare on elm street don't get that wrong it's supposed to be a pg i know should we start with nightmare before christmas go for it then it's your your film so this came out in 1993 the first thing i want to say is when we teed this up at the end of the last episode i said this was a tim burton film and i completely forgot it wasn't actually directed by Tim Burton it was the stories and characters was written by Tim Burton so it's kind of out of Tim Burton's head but it wasn't directed by him directed by Henry Selick which I really okay. didn't even realize until I was writing up my notes but anyway just no, I thought it was Tim Burton as well yeah it's so very anyway Tim Burton-esque what it is you, w- you wouldn't know it because it is very Tim Burton-esque so there were various voice actors in this no one of I would say of huge stardom so what's it about it's about Pumpkin King, Jack Skellington, who's this kind of elegantly thin and wiry skeleton. And he's just delivered another scary Halloween to the people of Halloween Town. So that's kind of his job. And he's been doing this for years, year after year, same old annual ritual. And his enthusiasm for doing this is kind of on the wane. And he's finding that there's something kind of missing in his life. A void which may well be filled by Sally, who's this animated ragdoll who's secretly in love with Jack, but Jack just doesn't even notice. Um, and Sally, by the way, was created by Halloween Town's evil scientist who keeps her locked up, except when she knocks him out by slipping deadly nightshade into a suit. This is the kind of weird, strange, kooky world Halloween Town is. One night, Jack takes his ghostly dog zero for a walk in the woods and they come across this strange circle of trees each with a door representing a holiday jack opens the christmas door and they are sucked in landing in christmas town so suddenly we've transitioned from this horrible bleak dark dreary half dead type world which i must admit i actually found quite claustrophobic when i was watching it to this amazingly colorful place snow bright colors toys 
excited children, decorations, and of course the elves and Santa Claus are preparing in the workshop. Jack just loves it totally seduced by it and immediately he wants to be part of it this this in his mind is what's missing in this dreary life so he hops it back to halloween town he calls a town meeting uh, he describes what he's seen in christmas town he proposes that they are going to take over christmas to a pretty reluctant crowd he convinces them by kind of retelling some elements of christmas town by making them a bit more scary than they actually were so for example he talks about santa claus and they call him Sandy Claus and tries to make him sound really scary. And so the people of Halloween Town slowly kind of come round to this idea. Uh, so he announces they're going to take over Christmas and he starts assigning jobs to everyone. So we've got the evil scientist whips up these skeletal reindeer. Uh, we've got these top kind of trick-or-treaters who go and kidnap Santa Claus or Sandy Claus and take him prisoner so Jack can replace him. And Sally's task is to make Jack a red Santa suit. But knowing that Christmas is really just not the answer to his problems and it's a world away from what their people are used to, Sally tries to warn Jack this is all really a very bad idea. And he's too wrapped up in the whole enthusiasm of it to, to take any notice. So Sally tries to sabotage his Christmas Eve by adding fog juice to the town well, but that plan is foiled by Dog Zero, who happens to have a glowing nose. Jack sets off in his sleigh to Christmas Town, complete with these scary skeleton reindeer, but the trip ends in total disaster. His scary gifts spread complete terror and mayhem at every house in Christmas Town. And it brings to light a realization that Halloween Town is really where he belongs. And he effectively, he had this huge crescendo where he's blown into the sky. He goes back to Halloween Town. He sets the real Santa free and he realizes that he only belongs in this one place and that he also belongs with Sally. So that's the film as best as I can describe it. I watched this a long time ago and I had a different opinion of it watching it second time round. I think that the first time I was really... But I still am. I really liked the charm of it. I really liked this dark, beautiful, slightly twisted fantasy that you would associate with Tim Burton. But yes, I've got some quite interesting thoughts on this, having watched it a second time. So was this the first time you'd seen it? And what did you think? It was the first time I'd seen it, I'm going to be honest. And probably the reason why I haven't watched it before is because I don't usually like that type of animation style. And normally like the Disney or DreamWorks animation, whereas this was very different. It was, mind you, saying that I have liked Wallace and Gromit before, and I think they use similar animation to that in this film. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, it's stop motion animation. So, yeah, it has that same kind of feel, which I think undoubtedly gives it a unique charm. I think I think they mm. always do, don't they, these types of stop animation films? But they made it really grim and gory and yuck, it was horrible. And the Christmas side was obviously delightful the contrast is really good the it's very clever film actually i give it full credit for that and do i like it or not i need to probably i'm not sure let's go through (laughs) our discussion on this first i think it's really clever because when they're trying to explore what christmas is all about and jack was testing he was using his science what's the science of christmas i thought that was really smart and clever and then i kind of thought well 
when you think about it, you have like Hogwarts, the school for really kind of school of Halloween in, in some respects, because it's wizards and magic and stuff like that, which is all sciencey. So when you see Harry Potter films, you see that element. And I was thinking, what if there was a school for Christmas? What if there was a school for Easter? What would they study in those? And that was going through my mind when he was just doing the science of Christmas to see, you know, what does he need to do to try and replicate his Christmas for the Christmas world or Halloween's Christmas world. And, you know, I was thinking Easter, it could be maths because, you know, you have to count up all the eggs and, and stuff like that. And it's craft, like Christmas is craft and cooking, home economics, that kind of thing. Don't know why that was all going off in my mind whilst I was watching it. But why did he choose Christmas? He could have, why hasn't there been another film where he's gone down Easter, the Easter side? But I did like the fact they did bring back the Easter bunny because they got confused. These, he sent these little, um, it's horrible word to say it, runts, I would say. Well, they like kind of little, little kind of gob- little kind of goblin yeah, trick or treaters, weren't they? Horrible, look at, yeah. And went off in their, their walking bathtub and stole a, an Easter bunny and brought them back and then realised it wasn't the right character and then eventually brought back Father Christmas, who was then they sent down to the boogeyman, didn't they? And yeah, very interesting the boogeyman um, scenes where gambling was included. And I just found it interesting that they were associating gambling as being a really bad thing as well, which it can be, but it can be a bit of fun as well. Um, and he had his own little um, turntable. Is it called turntable and gambling? And, roulette, uh, you mean the re- you mean roulette, the roulette that's way. it. See, I can tell I'm not gambling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the roulette and, and everything like that, I thought that was really clever. And I like the fact, that, I think it was Sally, that she can unstitch herself and trying to get the boogeyman's attention. She unstitched her leg and then her arm was, or head was at the other end trying to save Father Christmas and, and things like that. But it had certainly got me engaged and I thought, this is really different and my kids liked it it's completely different I would say to Coco Coco they didn't want to watch because they knew it was about death but they were quite happy to watch the (laughs) Nightmare Before Christmas which was just much more gorier I would say and they've watched it a couple of times apparently in after school club and things like that so I was really like blown away by that because I would have thought they would find Coco a much easier film to watch to be honest and yeah I just found it really clever so I don't know what I would rate it because of its cleverness but I know that it did get uh, nominated for Best Visual Effects at the Oscars and IMDB really good rating 8 out of 10 which I think is a really good score uh, for an animation and yeah I'd love to get your thoughts of it as well what you're thinking because you've got a lot of thoughts on it as well well, I definitely thought it was, technically, it was beautiful. And like you say, it's always great to watch a film that's quite unique and is trying to do something. Yeah. It kind of, you know, sits comfortably in a genre, but is trying to do something a little bit different. And I think the whole concept of Halloween invading Christmas, as it were, through through, through yeah. this character of Jack Skellington, I think is a really nice idea. And I think it's executed really well. I think the little small details that you're referring to does definitely give it an intelligence which when you watch it as an adult you'd really do appreciate it i'd be interesting to know i suppose whether children really you know really kind of see that detail and take that detail on or whether children are just interested in it because maybe again because it's just something quite different and obviously children are absolutely immersed in halloween Mm. every year so i think there's lots of things in there that are very familiar to them i mean there's no doubt about it when i started watching it it was a lot darker and a lot more disgusting and gross i suppose 
uh, and gruesome in some ways than I had remembered. You know, when we were watching it with the children, they were almost wincing at times, not in a kind of I'm scared way, but just it's wincing. It's gory, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. it's horrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it never veered into a territory where it was properly dark or harrowing or anything like that. But I did think it skirted the borderlines, and I think that's probably what makes it good. It makes it interesting and makes it different. But I was just desperate almost for the lights to come up and colours to come into it. As much as I really loved the world that Tim Burton created in Halloween Town, I was just desperate to see Christmas Town. And because I hadn't seen it for literally, I mean, years and years and years, I couldn't remember when that point happened. And I was like, come on, please, I want to... I want to be free of this Halloween town. I found it really quite oppressive. And because it came later than I thought, by the time we got to that bit, I was like, oh, yes, now we've got the whole light and shade and I, this is the bit I enjoy most. But in actual fact, when we first see Christmas Town, we're not there for that long before he comes back. And I felt like yeah. I wanted more of Christmas Town in the movie, I suppose. Um, and I felt that every time we went back to Halloween Town, I don't know, almost... I almost found it a bit of a downer, personally. But I mean, as I say, this is all really personal because I watched it with the children and at the end they said they really liked it. For me, it kind of dragged in places. And I almost found some of the characters in Halloween Town, as much as they were really unique and kind of kooky and a little bit gross and disgusting, I actually found them quite nauseating after a while, particularly the town crier. Yes, um, I didn't like him. And he reminds me of, there's another film, Box Catcher, is it? Box Trolls. Box Trolls, that's it. Where I think the animation is a little bit similar to that. It is, with that it character. is. I watched it, I suppose, with bigger expectations. Well, I, I watched it with memories from 15, 20 years ago. And so when I watched it the second time around, it just didn't play it as I was expecting. So, yeah, for me, I, I would give this 7 out of 10 because it's a good film. And I, I think everyone should see it because, as we've discussed, it's doing yeah. something quite different it's a fresh twist that you know we should say this is a, as well as an animation there's it's kind of a musical in parts as well and those bits are very well done and it, obviously as I said before it's out the head of Tim Burton and we and I personally love all that but it just for me I was engaged but not engaged enough to give it more than a seven out of mm. ten although it's not arguably it's not for me is it it's for the it's for the kids and this is always one of the yeah. things that comes up is like well we're giving a rating as an adult we're an actual fact you know, I looked on the IMDb and this is down as Animation Fantasy Family. So it is a family film, no mm -hmm. doubt about it. But it's also probably fair to say that it's quite a dark fantasy type family film. It's not typical. Yeah, it's mild horror, I would say. Yes, I think you're probably right. I mean, I like the fact that you can pr probably actually watch it from October time because it covers obviously Halloween and stretches right through to, to Christmas. What I envisaged was going to happen was now he's opened the door, he was going to tell everyone and they were all going to try and conform to what it was like in Christmas land. He was trying to bring back what they had as, as nice goodies to convert those in Halloween land, but you didn't see that. And in alternative way as well, I was thinking maybe they all go to Christmas town and completely raid it, but it was just Jack that went with his dog. And another thing, the dog, why is he a ghostly dog when everybody else is all dead anyway? Why is he, why isn't he just bones and a, with a red nose? Why is he sort of floating dog? Although he was passed away in the graveyards as well, but so was everybody else. Maybe, no, maybe, none of maybe. them were ghostly. It's like bit, like bit like funny bones, isn't it? Just maybe it was the nature of how he died. He's in this kind of mid... Uh, 
It's midnight. Yeah, even um, quite sweet anyway. I thought the concept was so clever, but I felt it was at times not as simplistic as it could have been. Like when you think of Pixar movies, they always take a great concept which can be read on so many levels and is interesting for adults and is always quite deep when you when you want to delve into it. But it all sits on a very very simple concept. And and for me, I thought the same. I thought he was going to bring Christmas back to Halloween Town. I thought he was going to basically convert Halloween Town, yeah. bring Christmas to Halloween Town. And I was a bit like you because I couldn't remember all this film. And I wanted that actually. I think that's what I wanted. You know, because I wanted to get rid of this horrible dark dreary world. In actual fact, what happens is he tries to take on the role of Christmas for himself mm-hmm. and tries yeah. to invade Christmas Town, whereas all the other characters stay back in Halloween Town. So that, that's what I mean. I can't help but think there was maybe a slightly more compelling way to explore this concept from a narrative point of view than the way in which it did play out. Did you find the boogeyman um, looked almost real, like it was somebody dressed up in a boogeyman's outfit and dancing around? On occasions it looked like it was a real person and they just shrunk him down to be the similar size to the the rest of the character. That part felt almost a little bit out of place for me. I, I was thinking that felt almost almost a bit like kind of um, Robin Williams as the genie or, or the octopus in um, Moana because the song that went with that had that feel as well. So I actually felt that kind of felt in this whole kind of stop animation world, I actually felt that particular scene felt slightly out of place on the basis that the whole world is a bit kind of a left field and a bit out of kilter and a bit stitched together just like some of his characters yeah, maybe I'm kind of just wanting something out of this that it was never going to be. But still, that's why I'd give it seven. Sorry, yeah. very long. No, very no, long no, 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 no. And I'm, I've been debating. I've gone down from eight to seven and a half to seven. I was like, hmm, I'm in an R-ring whilst we've been talking, to be honest. The reason why I would give it the highest score is because I really think it's cleverly done. And yes. some of the, would you call it cinematography? It is visual effects are very, very cleverly done and beautiful in, in some circumstances. But there's also disgusting pieces in it as well. And you're like, oh, and you don't want to look at it out there. You look down or and the contrast between Christmas Town and Halloween is very well done. Um, I'm going to give it seven and a half out of ten because of that, because I kind of bit, a bit in the middle, really, between those two scores, just simply because I think it's um, it made me really think about the science behind Christmas and the subjects that could fall behind all these different holidays let's just call it so I mean it did really make me think and it is well delivered and the boys really like it and it's completely different to Coco so uh so seven and a half good stuff and talking of kind of slightly left field yeah out of kilter films i mean yeah gross point blank is lives in a similar space doesn't yeah, it it's I not say, quite, does, it doesn't a... neat doesn't neatly fit into any yeah, particular genre yeah so it was released in 1997 and it actually falls under i think a lot of categories comedy action crime, romance and thriller. Less so on the thriller side, it's probably because it's a little bit gory now and then, but certainly more romance and action, I would say. Comedy's a little bit kooky, uh, but we've got some great actors in this film. Um, It's directed by George Armitage, who, when you look at other stuff that he's done, is not any really big films, but actors include John Cusack, his sister Joan Cusack, uh, Minnie Driver, 
Dan Aykroyd and Alan Arkin as well. And you'll also see a very young Michael Kuditz, who was in The Walking Dead, and also Jeremy Piven, who was in Entourage. So it's an oldie for me, brings me back to my uh, sort of uni school days. The reason why I like it is I do like John Cusack. I don't know what it is. He's, he's got a bit of a charm. He's not particularly really, really mega handsome or anything like that. It's just he's, he's a little bit kooky and funny, I think. And Dan Aykroyd as well from uh, Ghostbuster days. It's nice to see him in a, in a film slightly later on. And he is he is entertaining in this. So this is all about Martin Blank, who's played by John Cusack. He is a professional assassin. And he just disappeared just before his high school prom, where he was supposed to go with Minnie Driver's character, Debbie Newbery. Nobody knows where he actually went. And 10 years later, he's sent on a mission to Grace Point, where he was brought up. I think it's just outside Detroit. And by coincidence, his 10-year high school reunion is taking place. So he kind of needs to get pally again with some of those locals that he has to try and find out who, you know, who's the right person. He needs to go and assassinate, and that comes clearer later on. And it's just some of the memories that he has from when he, his old school days, his family moving on. And you kind of see a different side to this hard assassin guy and see a much softer side and you can see him converting almost to that softer side as he learns you know what he's been missing over the years so it's got a bit of charm I think it's got charm to it and it's a little bit quirky and you know who is that person who is gonna try and assassinate and will he get back together with Debbie who he was supposed to go on that high on the high school prom with Rob I really like it bit more of a mainstream film I would say maybe a bit like Juno slightly offbeat and I'd love to get your thoughts. Yeah it has a real indie feel to this film you're right you talk about Juno and they are films that cut through to the mainstream but they definitely sit in this Mm. world which as I say is kind of just under the radar a bit left field and that for me was the biggest draw of the film because we've often talked about it before rarely nowadays do you watch a film that is an original screenplay so often these days it's a you know it's adapted from a book or graphic novel or comic book or you know or it's a reiteration of a film you've seen before but this was written by Tom Yankowitz you know he got the idea when he went to a school reunion and I think he was just playing with him. What if, what if, what if? Maybe he was assassin. Do you think he was assassin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's where, exactly. I didn't quite ring that, that true. But I mean, I hadn't seen this film before. I have seen some of his other films. I've seen High Fidelity. I need to watch it again because mm. I know that's one of the films he's most well, you know, mm. most well known yeah. for. It has a similar kind of feel. But just the whole concept of it, like a professional assassin who's sent on a mission back to his hometown 10 years later where he's going to a reunion party for me it's just like that's just such a cool idea and that's what I love about it the idea is just feels unique and let's face it you don't see Mini Driver in in many mainstream films I mean John Cusack made him very deliberately early on in his career decided he didn't want to follow similar paths to some of his peers and he wanted to stay in this world of indie filmmaking he, he didn't he very much shunned the idea of going the mainstream route which is why we've already always seen him in these roles I mean yes he did buck the trend with Con Air but apparently that was only really because of a paycheck because he he had a production company that he set up with his friends um, and this was one of the first films that was produced uh, from that production company. This is obviously a long time ago. Um, I think he has something that is completely unique today. Like you say, he's not like a conventional leading man. 
he, right. he, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not like bad looking, of course he's mm-hmm. not. But And he's got that certain strange, I wouldn't say craziness, but he's got this, you know, behind the eyes, he's like his, yeah. his brain's constantly ticking and he's always slightly on edge. It's almost mm-hmm. like he likes to play these characters that are slightly preoccupied or maybe obsessive, yeah. but he's also able to deliver the charm that you would associate maybe with, um, you know, with the leading man, which is why those initial scenes between him and Minnie Driver uh, are fantastic. It's almost like they're just riffing off each other. It's almost like watching a really good sitcom or something. Those scenes where they first meet, when he basically arrives at Gross Point and he drives through this town and it's set up with a radio station playing and it's mini driver's character Debbie who's, who's who's on air at the time and he drives past and literally can see her through the window of the studio from the road and they their eyes cross and then he just drives off and inevitably he goes in and meets her and the first thing she does is put him straight on air and say, right, you can now tell yeah. me, you stood me up 10 years ago, haven't yeah. seen you since. And, it, and it's all... him around the face. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, her way of, it's her way of bringing him down a yeah. notch or two. And again, just a very, very kind of simple but clever idea of, of how to just very quickly tick that box of establishing their relationship and establishing what it was that made those two tick because immediately the chemistry is there between them. Dan Aykroyd's character is very kind of two-dimensional, but just very funny. It's almost like the rival hitman. And, you know, as soon as it kind of gets into that world where he's catching up with old mates and all his old mates, they've all got something going on. Some are oddball, some have made it, some haven't. And as soon as you get into that world of him meeting his old schoolmates, it takes on a, it almost feels it takes on another kind of film at that point. Um, you know, like, uh, it's almost like a nostalgic type thing, you know, friends coming back together. But of course, he's an assassin. And and then you, you know, there's a quite an in your face scene at the reunion itself, where he has no choice but to take out, uh, you know, another hitman who comes for him. Uh, And you know, you've got this, you've got this scene where all the lockers are and he has this massive fight with this hitman that's pretty ugly, but it's, pretty, it's also pretty... It was strange looking, wasn't he? Sorry. Yeah. Unusual looking. We only ever see mm. Martin Blank as an assassin. He never gets close to his victims because he's an assassin. He's either mm. got someone in his sights on the top of a roof or he's trying to poison someone from from a you know from a floor above in a hotel room or he's always keeps his distance of course no assassin wants to find themselves face to face with anyone so that scene really hits home that he's a killer i mean he talks about it quite flippantly i do like the fact that whenever he meets someone even when he meets debbie again and even when he meets his friend paul played by jeremy piven they ask him so what do you do what do you do for a living because oh, well, i'm a professional assassin and of course they just you know he says it yeah. such a flippant yeah. way that they just you know it's just funny it's and joking. They, they just yeah. move on and then of course it's only when he suddenly <laughs> it's only when he's literally pummeling this guy to death <laughs> in the corridor blood everywhere it's a, like i say it's a it's, it's it's pretty much there's no real weapons involved it's just yeah, that was actually really hard hitting yeah and then of course you've got that lovely twist whereby he discovers that the father of of his ex-girlfriend debbie of course he's now getting very close to her again is in the line of fire as well and another hitman's coming after them and like but again you could almost say well, it gets a bit daft then but like why not the whole thing is it's lots of genres but it is also a comedy 
Yeah. And so, yeah. like, I think it works really nicely that you've got that amazing scene of yeah. him in the house of his girlfriend trying to protect him and the dad, and it's complete carnage. It's just complete and utter carnage of, like, him shooting all these people and this kind of face-off with his rival hitman in this grand, in this house. Yeah, I, 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 I think they used to work together, didn't they? And then they gone their own separate ways, and then they had the same missions so they were always at each other. They met in the in the cafe, didn't they? And they had That's guns right. on the table. And, That's okay, exactly. And they were ordering, and then, and then they just in the end they didn't eat anything. They sort of one of them walks out, but they, they certainly spooked people in the shop. Yeah. Some of the some of the kind of razor sharp script, in a weird way, reminded me a little bit of some of Tarantino's stuff. I mean, not 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 exactly the same, but it was mm. just so kind of cool. The whole film was very cool, and yeah. the script was cool. And the performances were all very kind of knowing of each other, you know, especially between um, Minnie Driver and John Cusack. I think that's how mm. I describe it. I mean, I, I thought Point Break was cool, but this is cool on a slightly different level. Yeah, soundtrack was quite cool. 99 yeah, Red and, and that's all that, it. You know, I all those disco tunes. And, and yeah. uh, was, I mean, this was a complete um, purple patch for, for Minnie Driver. I mean, she did, I didn't realise she was a Bond girl. She was played at Irina in GoldenEye. With, yes, uh, I saw that. Didn't realise that. No. And then uh, that was in 95. Sleepers in 96. Uh, she actually had four films come out in 97 and 98 for another four. And guess what other film she did in 97 after this? Good Will Hunting, wasn't it? Of course. Yeah, the big one. And then in 90, um, 98, she did Hard Rain with Morgan Freeman and Christine Slater. She, she was big time. She was dating Matt Damon at the time as well. And her status went down a little bit, I think, after that for some reason, which is a real shame because I think she, she was a, always comes across as a really sweet lady and funny lady as well. Funny as in ha-ha, not funny as in weird. Yeah, so I, it's a shame that we don't see much more of her at the moment. But I think she has been doing well in Grace as as well tv series so she's playing more tv roles but i would like to see more films really i think she's had a bit of time out with family as well but yeah a bit more mini driver please and um john cusack yeah hot tub time machine comes to mind as well as some of the ones that you mentioned that was quite a funny film if you haven't watched that one but no yeah it's a little bit kooky i love the scene where he goes back to where he's brought up um where his home was supposed to be and it finds <laughs> yeah. out that it's that it's like a what is it? A, a convenience a, store. Convenience it, store, yeah. yeah. With a big sort of parking area out, outside the front. And then he meet, comes across this other assassin and they have a big shoot up in the store. And the poor kid that was behind the, the counter on the first encounter, when Martin Blank arrives and says, no, this is my home. What, where is my home? Where's my parents? Sort of, you know, because he, he basically just lost complete touch over the 10 years. And do you know what? I kind of did that as well. Not, not lost touch with my family or anything, but I had a school reunion last year and it was 25 years <clears throat> uh, slightly <laughs> a long long time ago and I hadn't kept in touch with any of my school friends and I'd turn up at this school reunion and had a right blast it was great fun and I kind of resonated with Martin and his friends at school wanting to go back that 10 years later I did find though most of those people were probably a little bit older than being I guess they would be supposed to be 28 at the time. 
they looked a bit older, more in the 30, late 30s, I think, some of the people that were, were his school friends at that reunion. So a bit of a question mark, lots of bald-headed men. And I was thinking, do they board he- <laughs> do they board at 28? Probably some people do, but there was a lot of bald-headed men there. Well, you're a stickler for detail. These things never escaped, Sarah, that's for sure. You're, you're, always, you're always pulling films <laughs> up on these details. That's what I love about it. I thought, I thought the scene where he meets his mum. Yeah, that was quite sad. It yeah. was a bit sad. I couldn't work out whether she was just as bonkers as he was, and she was actually she was actually completely compassmentous, and it was all just an act. Mm-hmm. And he kind of knew that because he was a bit like, "What the hell have you been doing with all the money I've sent you?" And, and mm-hmm. I almost got the impression that if his mum is anything like him, she's probably absolutely fine, and <laughs> she's probably squirreled that money away, mm-hmm. and she's just decided to pretend to be mad. It wouldn't it wouldn't have surprised yeah. me. Yeah, and that she's living a life in in, yeah. a, in a home. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And enjoying the luxuries there. Yeah, no, I thought that as well. Uh, Go on then, what are you going to give it? Uh, I'm going to give it 8 out of 10. I think we've been on a run of films recently that from the kind of 80s and 90s that have been really enjoyable, but perhaps without the kind of meat or heft of some other films that push into the the 9 kind of region. Mm -hmm. So... I, that's why I'm going to give it 8 out of 10. I mean, it's a solid 8 out of 10, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'm going to give it the same, and I'm, I'm not meaning to copy you at all. It's quite charming, really. Yeah. It's a bit kooky, it's funny, and it's got some great actors in it. Another thing I loved about it, and again, this was down to the script, it's an hour and 47, so I wouldn't, it's not a long film, but it just raced along. It's so lean, it's almost like there's no fat on it, it's, it never drags. That's what I loved about it. When the film came to an end, I just thought, wow, that was quick, but it was perfect for it. So the budget was $15 million US dollars and Worldwide Grace got just over $28 million um, US dollars. That doesn't surprise me, no, to be no, honest, because it wasn't a huge blockbuster. It, it was a kind of an indie film, definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, but a good one, a good one. So eight out of 10 for me. Lovely, lovely. So, 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 so we have left. We have guilty pleasures, romance, drama, war and Western. Okay, right, so I will draw a genre for you. It's romance. Romance. Okay. I have 22. Going to go for number 10. This is another one that's slightly kooky, maybe. (laughs) It could be a a guilty pleasures one, but I've got 10 things I hate about you. And it's got Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 1999. Love it. Never seen it. Yeah, it's good. I think it was quite popular at the time. And yeah, it's kind of a, I would say a teenage onwards film. Always good to watch a film I haven't seen and always good to watch a film with Heath Ledger. Um, yeah. So that would be a yeah, good one. Great. So 10 Things I Hate About You, that's 1999. A pretty popular teenager can't go out on a date until her ill-tempered older sister does. Yeah, Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And where can we watch this one? It is streaming on Disney Plus and you can rent or buy from Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Rakuten, Sky Store, etc, etc. Good stuff. Right. What's the next genre out of the hat? I am going for drama. Crikey, this is the biggest list I've got. Crikey, I've got 71. 71? Wow, that's a lot. But there's so many uh, drama as well as other genres, so... Mm-hmm. 
Go on then. I will go for number 70. Number 70 is Shawshank Redemption. Oh, classic. Which, I yes. mean, crikey, that is a belter, isn't it? Yeah. I've only seen it once. I mean, this is this is one of those ones which is, yeah, well, everyone. It's, it's, yeah, a, it's towards it's the top film. of uh, many people's lists, isn't it? Yeah, really good film. And actually, we I did watch Catch the End of It the other day because it, oh, it was on Sky TV. T- and, um, yeah, really good film, but it'd be nice to watch the beginning of it, the whole film this time. So it's a bit of a whopper. It's two hours, 22 minutes. Yeah. Um, this is from 1994. Two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. Yeah, well... Not much you can say about this. We know it's amazing. It is streaming on Now TV, Sky Go, and you can rent a buy from Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Rakuten TV, and YouTube. Good stuff. Okay, so next, so next week, let's do two Christmas movies. You pick one, I pick one, Fantastic and they can be idea. they can be as mainstream or as left field as as we like, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's cheesy, like Santa Claus the movie. I don't think it matters. All bets are off. Go for whatever floats your Christmas boat. It's Christmas. It is Christmas. Okay. No, I'm looking forward to that. That'd be good. Christmas movie week. Maybe we'll mix up the format as well. We can maybe look back at some of our high-scoring films, a little mini-review celebration of Christmas before we break. Yeah, sounds great idea. Great. So happy watching 10 Things I Hate About You and uh, Shawshank on your giant screen. Well, I will. I know, and I'm... uh, I've even switched my room about to get the biggest, cleanest wall to watch the film. So I've been waiting for like a juicy classic to watch. So Shawshank Redemption is absolutely perfect. Right. Well, have a good week as you prepare for all of the Christmas festivities. Yep. Thank you very much, Rob. And thank you to our listeners as usual. And you can find us on Two Small Cokes via our Apple, Spotify, and also on Facebook. That's right. Keep tuning in and I will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.